Wednesday, March 27th, 2013, episode number 43, the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Nation Today podcast hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, published on Wednesdays right here on footballnation.com and for your downloading convenience in the iTunes store. Please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast in the iTunes store if you have yet to do so. We are finally entering the spring months of the year, or at least we're supposed to, the start of the baseball season, less than a week away now. Very exciting stuff for all the seam heads out there. Red Sox and Yankees open up this upcoming Monday. Very exciting stuff. Also, the Sweet 16 in the lead eight rounds this weekend in the March Madness Tournament. Dunk City. Dunk, Dunk City. Oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Florida Gulf Coast University, founded in 1991. Its total endowment is just a shade over $50 million. (laughs) Their coach, Andy Infield's wife, is smoking hot. She is the number one uh, recruiter, as far as I'm concerned, for Florida Gulf Coast. Their most famous alumnus, Chris Sale, pitcher for the Chicago White Sox, had a terrific rookie campaign last year. And those are pretty much all the fun facts I know about Florida Gulf Coast. And I did not know any of those before uh, they won two terrific games last weekend. Uh, But what a story they are, huh? I love that team. Sherwood Brown, Brett Comer, some of those white dudes they have who can dunk. Oh, it's awesome. Awesome team. Uh, That's why I watch March Madness. That's why I watch sports for upset stories and, frankly, great stories like that. Uh, But we have some great stories going on across the NFL as free agency continues on. Uh, Most of the big names are off the board by now, but still a couple of guys out there who are of interest uh, and still a couple of big stories to talk about, including the Ravens. Continue to fascinate me. Ed Reed signed with the Texans last week, but the Ravens countered by signing defensive end Elvis Doomerville away from the Broncos, I guess. Uh, not faxing in your contract on time pays off because Doomerville got paid quite handsomely by the Ravens. We'll talk about that. And then Brian Erlacher and the Bears having a messy divorce. Uh, did the Bears wrongly lowball uh, Erlacher in contract negotiations? We'll talk about that story and more. In the first down segment, then the second down segment, we talk about the biggest off-field NFL story of the week. And this week, yet again, gays in football. Mike Freeman of CBS Sports came out with a report this week that a that an active player is strongly considering coming out. Scott Fujita, former NFL linebacker, wrote an op-ed piece in the New York Times this week strongly supporting a gay NFL player. Doesn't it have to happen now? After all the discussion this offseason about a gay athlete, and more specifically, a gay football player, doesn't it have to happen sooner rather than later? We'll tackle that story in the second down segment. Third down segment, as always, it's the Big Up Slowdown segment, debating topics such as Manti Teo's second 40-yard dash, and if uh, this will remain an issue for him in the draft in a couple of weeks. Speaking of the draft, Geno Smith to the Jaguars. That conversation is heating up. But if the Jaguars don't think Geno Smith is the guy, should they feel obligated to draft him anyway with the top pick in the draft? And the 49ers are tinkering with the idea of Pat White. Yes, that Pat White from West Virginia 
as their backup quarterback to Colin Kaepernick. Has the quarterback position undergone a complete evolution? Or a guy like Pat White would be a formidable backup for a Super Bowl caliber team? Then the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. Former Patriot linebacker, current Houston radio host Ted Johnson said some pretty, uh, some pretty brash things about Vince Wilfork's wife, Bianca Wilfork, on his radio program last week. Of course, Vince Wilfork fired back. Good for Vince. But I say, even though Ted Johnson crossed the line there, talking about an ex-teammate's wife, uh, I want to hear more of that kind of stuff out of ex-athletes. Don't worry. I don't think it's an offensive opinion. I'll explain myself in the Reamer rant. It's Football Nation Today. We'll be right back. Don't worry, folks. Here in the radio business, or I guess in this case, the podcast business, we call what I just said there about Ted Johnson and Vince Wilfork a tease. Uh, don't worry. I don't think my opinion is all that offensive, but I mean what I said. I want to hear more of what Ted Johnson said out of ex-athletes. Not necessarily talking about players' wives. I uh, know that's totally off-limits, but I want to hear a little more honesty. So we'll talk with that a little bit in the fourth down segment. But starting off here, the first down segment, the biggest on-field NFL stories of the week. Let's start with the Ravens, who continue to fascinate me. I said that in the opening of the show. Ed Reed signs with the Texans, a three-year, $15 million deal. $5 million guaranteed. We'll talk about that more specifically in a couple of moments. Uh, former Raven safety Bernard Pollard also left Baltimore, signs a one-year deal with the Tennessee Titans late last week. Uh, so the Ravens have let everyone go. Reed, Pollard, Danelle Ellerby, Paul Kruger. They trade Anquan Bolden. They've let pretty much everybody go who could have gone from their Super Bowl roster from a season ago, cash-strapped, up against the cap, Give Joe Flacco the big six-year, $120 million contract extension. So what do the Ravens do? Well, they sign probably the best pass rusher on the market. They opened up their checkbooks, looked under the couch cushions, and found an extra eh, $35 million laying around to sign Elvis Doomerville. Doomerville will receive a base salary of $8.5 million for this upcoming season. He is guaranteed $12 million, Doomerville is, throughout the duration of this contract. So, I guess it pays off to not fax your end of the contract in on time. Because, as Doomerville has showed us, you get paid anyway. And my God, did he get paid by the Ravens with this $35 million deal, $12 million of which is guaranteed. And of course, we all know that really is the most important thing when it comes to to analyzing these NFL free agent contracts. Um, Doomerville had 11 sacks last season. Had 11 sacks last... Yeah, let's try that again. Doomerville had 11 sacks last last season. That's a tongue tire, um, which is not good because I'm going to bring up that statistic a few more times here, so we'll see how I go with it, how I do with it. But uh, I didn't think Doomerville had a particularly impressive postseason. I don't think he played well against the Ravens, for example, in their playoff game last season. Doomerville and Von Miller, I thought, were both rather invisible in that ball game. But still, 11 sacks last season for Doomerville. I think the premier pass rusher on the market. And in the 3-4, which he played in from about 2009 through 2011 in Denver, in which he'll play again in Baltimore, uh, he was unstoppable. Doomerville had 17 sacks in 2009, uh, a prolific pass rusher that season. Maybe the best pass rusher in football that last uh, in 2009 with 
17 sacks recorded. Um, and the Ravens now have revamped their defensive line and done so rather nicely, adding Dumerville to the already signed Chris Canty and Marcus Spears. They still have significant holes at linebacker and safety on that defense. Cornerbacks actually look to be okay. Kerry Williams signed with Philadelphia, but Ladarius Webb will be back. Jimmy Smith should be back. He's a guy they like. So the Ravens may actually be okay at corner, but definitely taking a step back at safety, losing their starters from a year ago, Ed Reed and Bernard Pollard, and losing uh, Danelle Ellerby and Paul Kruger at linebacker, Dumerville in a 3-4, you have to assume, will play up front on the defensive line as a defensive end. So the corners should be fine. The defensive line may actually be improved a little bit, especially now with Dumerville's addition, but the linebackers and safety, the heart of a defense, especially as physical a defense like Baltimore's, Definitely taking hits. So you look at the Ravens roster, uh, the guys they've lost, Reed, Bol Reed, Bolden, Kruger, Ellerby, Pollard. You look at the guys they've lost and you say they have to have gotten worse, right? I mean, there is no way the Ravens got better this offseason. The Doomerville edition is a great one. And it's a weak AFC North. The Steelers are having cap problems of their own. Cincinnati hasn't necessarily improved all that much this offseason. The Browns are undergoing another quarter, another coaching change, another whole philosophy being introduced there. So it's a down division. It's a down AFC conference in general. The Ravens may very well sneak in the postseason, even with all of the guys who have left them this offseason. But, you know, I look at this Doomerville contract. $35 million overall. Base salary of $8.5 million this year and $12 million guaranteed. It's a rich contract. It's a large contract, especially in this market. And I look at the money they gave Dumerville, and I say, you know, Ed Reed only signed for $5 million guaranteed. Danelle Ellerby did sign for $14 million guaranteed, but maybe he would have taken a little bit of a discount to stay in Baltimore. But let's say you get Ellerby down to 11 or $12 million guaranteed. You're to tell me he couldn't have found five more million dollars to bring Ed Reed back, and maybe even he would have taken a slight discount if it meant staying with the Ravens, a team he has played his entire career with. Uh, they certainly could have kept Reed, Pollard, and Bolden if they had to. I mean, all they need to do is pay Ed Reed five million guaranteed. Uh, Bernard Pollard did not, did not sign a rich contract with Tennessee. They traded Anquan Bolden because they didn't want to restructure his deal. The Ravens didn't want to pay him an extra two million dollars for next season. And for the $12 million guaranteed it took for the Ravens to sign Elvis Dumerville, they could have brought back all three of Ed Reed, Bernard Pollard, and Anquan Bolden. But the Ravens, for whatever reason, didn't opt to do that. The Ravens, for whatever reason, wanted to break up this core. Now, people point to the salary cap and say the Ravens were up against the cap. Nothing they could have done. But again, I look at the Dumerville contract. A rich contract, especially in this down free agent market. If the Ravens had room for Elvis Dumerville at $35 million overall, $12 million guaranteed, they had room to at least keep some portions of their Super Bowl core from a season ago. So the Ravens broke up the core, not because they had to because of the salary cap, but because they wanted to. I don't doubt that the salary cap made some decisions tougher for them. I don't think they could have kept everybody. The cap has obviously played a factor in what the Ravens did this offseason and what they have done this offseason. But it was not the be-all, end-all some of the media are making it out to be. 
And my argument, again, is the Doomerville contract, a team as up against the cap as the Ravens supposedly are. Do not hand out a contract like that. The Cowboys are up against the salary cap, and nobody even wants to commit to them. Why? Because they don't have the money. Look at safety Michael Huff. He doesn't want to commit to Dallas because he doesn't know if they have the money to pay him. Teams that are truly up against the salary cap, like the Cowboys, like the Ravens rival the Steelers, like the New York Jets, they don't have the room to sign anybody, never mind the premier pass rusher on the open market like Elvis Doomerville. So, the Ravens want to break up this core, and it isn't solely because of the salary cap. That's not the prominent reason here. Maybe the Ravens thought it was time for this to become Joe Flacco's team. We're paying Flacco like a franchise-caliber quarterback. Let's put the burden of the franchise now on him. If that's the case, I don't know how wise that is, because as I've said in past shows, I think Flacco is a guy who needs good teammates around him to make him good. I think his teammates make him better, not the other way around, which is why keeping Bolden, to me, was so imperative with the way he and Flacco clicked in the postseason, in the Super Bowl. Bolden's their best possession receiver. I think Anquan Bolden worked the middle of the field really well with Torrey Smith and others on the outside. I thought Bolden was a terrific option for a guy like Flacco, where he was in his receivers to make plays for him. Uh, but, you know, maybe the Ravens thought this was time. It was time to hand the reins over to Flacco. Maybe they wanted the defense to undergo a complete facelift post-Ray Lewis. Lewis is gone. Let's bring out the guys who learned under him, like Ellerby and Kruger. Ed Reed and Ray Lewis, synonymous with each other in a sense. So Reed moves on. So Lewis moves on. It's time for Reed to move on as well. Uh, I don't know. Maybe just Ray Lewis is gone. We want to wipe ourselves clean of the Ray Lewis era and start anew. Maybe. Uh, maybe it was because John Harbaugh almost had a mutiny on his hands last season when the team was struggling. Maybe John Harbaugh says, yeah, I mean, Ray Lewis is gone. Uh, Bernard Pollard was a locker room lawyer type. And there's something up with Pollard. Uh, I like Pollard a lot. I think he's a hard-hitting safety, one of the last of a dying breed. But this is now his fourth team in, what, like seven, eight seasons? He's played with Kansas City, Houston, Baltimore, and now Tennessee. A good quality starting safety in the NFL, especially in today's day and age, does not play, in four, does not play for four teams in his career. So there's something wrong with Pollard. Uh, the rumor has it he's a bit of a locker room lawyer type. Wouldn't surprise me if Pollard was one of the ringleaders of the mutiny on John Harbaugh's hands at the midway point last season. So maybe that was an easy decision to let Pollard go. And Ellerby and Kruger maybe learned, took un were under Pollard's wing and guys like that. So maybe maybe the Ravens wanted to clean the locker room from the mutiny that almost happened last year under John Harbaugh's watch. I don't know. But whatever the reason is, they wanted to dramatically change their roster. They weren't forced into this by the salary cap. They forced this upon themselves. So we talked about Ed Reed, signs with the Texans, three-year deal, $15 million overall, but the most important thing is the $5 million guaranteed, which is not all that high a figure for Reed, if you're asking me. And I don't know how much Reed has left as a player. He did have 58 tackles last season and played in every game, played in every postseason game. He had only 52 tackles a year before, so he actually had six more tackles last year than he, had two, than he did two seasons ago. Although Ed Reed has only had one interception in the past three years, so obviously his ball playmaking abilities have declined with age. He's now in his mid-30s. But I think this is a really good signing for the Texans, given where they are in their development as a team. Because Reed, above all else, is a great leader 
for that defense. I look back to the Texans' playoff game against the Patriots last January. Even though they played the Patriots just a month earlier in a regular season game, they still had no idea how to go about stopping that New England hurry-up offense. No idea. They were completely lost on the goal line. They didn't call a timeout. They didn't set up properly. They didn't substitute properly. They had no idea what was coming, even though they just saw it a month earlier. They were completely lost out there. That defense, as talented as it was at times last season, did not have a real leader to set everybody up and make everybody play better together. I think Ed Reed, even at this stage in his career, does that. And he's a big addition to the Texans' defense and the Texans' secondary. Uh, they still have J.J. Watt, arguably the best defensive player in football. Jonathan Joseph is back there as a cornerback. You add, you add in Ed Reed as a safety uh, Brooks Reed is still there, obviously. I think that could still be a really dangerous Houston defense that now has the leadership in Ed Reed that it lacked at times last season. Speaking of the Patriots and the way they manhandled the Texans, uh, still not all that pleased with how the Patriots offseason has gone. They re-signed right tackle Sebastian Vollmer to a four-year deal, which is important. You would have thought Vollmer was the most replaceable free agent the Patriots had with him, Wes Welker, and Aqib Tlaib. But with the hurry-up offense they play, it's important to have linemen who can keep up, no matter what side they play on, Brady's blind side or the right side. And Vollmer was able to keep up with that hurry-up offense last season, seldom called for a penalty, seldom called for a false start, which is hard, playing at that kind of tempo. So it's important to have linemen to keep, to keep up. Uh, who can keep up. Patriots uh, have injury protection protection in that contract as well. So it's a good deal for the Patriots. And overall, a pretty important guy to bring back. But the Patriots still have roughly $15 million in cap money to play with. And you look at the free agent list right now. There aren't a whole lot of guys out there that are all that intriguing. Most of the legitimate players have signed already. We're two plus weeks into free agency. Of course they've signed. Now, you have more scrap heap guys than anything else. Yes, there's still some interesting names out there. John Abraham and Dwight Freeney, as of this recording, haven't signed anywhere. But Freeney is close to deal with the Saints, if you're to believe the report. So he may be off the table by the time you listen to the show later in the week. Um... Usu Minora is reportedly really close to a deal with Atlanta. So cross him off the list. In terms of the secondary, Namdi Asamoah is still out there. But are the Patriots going to bring in both Asamoah and Tlaib? No, I think they chose Tlaib over Asamoah. Um, or I should say, and this is the real point I want to get to, Tlaib chose the contract they were offering over Asamoah. Goes back to our Wes Walker conversation from a week ago. I'm not sure how much the Patriots negotiate with players on the free agent market. I don't know how much they raise their price. I think they set a value on a player. I think they set a value on a position. And they are unwilling to go above that value. Their final offer to Welker was two years, $10 million guaranteed. Welker turned that offer down, went to free agency, signed with Denver for two years, $12 million guaranteed. The Patriots gave the same $10 guaranteed million to their plan B, Danny Amendola. They gave to Aqib Tlaib the one-year, $5 million contract, but maybe that's just what they wanted to allocate to the number one corner position. 
And if Tlaib didn't take it, somebody else would have. That's the way it works. So that's my biggest gripe with the Patriots. Are they going for it here in the final years of Tom Brady's championship window? They still have roughly $15 million left in cap space. What are they saving that money for? I understand you need to allocate some of that money for the draft. Okay, so let's call it $10 million, $9 million. Let's call it 9 or $10 million in cap dollars left to play with. What are you saving that for? You know, I mean, you could have signed Ed Reed for $5 million guaranteed over Adrian Wilson to help you out at safety. Wilson, who again, may not make the roster out of training camp with the contract the Patriots offered him. Three years, base salary of $1 million. That's the kind of deal you give your third or fourth safety, not your first or second safety. So Adrian Wilson may not even be a lock to make this roster out of training camp. Did you sign Adrian Wilson because you like him better as a player than Ed Reed, the other veteran safety option out there? Or did you sign Adrian Wilson over Ed Reed because you liked the value with Wilson better than the value with Reed? Are the Patriots doing all they can to maximize their championship window? Now, if they bring on Freeney or Abraham, you say, okay, they've improved the defense. They can have one of those two guys line up alongside Chandler Jones on third down and, up and other passing downs. They brought Aqib Tlaib back to play corner, which I think is important because Tlaib thrived in this system in the second half last season. We'll see on Adrian Wilson. I like the name. I'm not sure how much I like the player. I'm not sure how much the Patriots like the player. I know they like the contract. But Alfonso Dennard may miss the start of the season with his legal problems in Nebraska. So who's your second corner? Kyle Arrington? Look, I think Arrington's a viable member of this team. He's a good special teamer. He's a good slot corner. Kind of good. Okay. He's a better slot corner. We'll say that. An improved slot corner. But he is an awful, and by awful, I mean awful, outside corner. I wake up with nightmares of Kyle Arrington trying to cover a receiver on the outside. I mean, is that really your backup plan if Dennard can't start the year, which still remains a distinct possibility? Kyle Arrington? Really? Oh, man. Wouldn't it be nice if the Patriots signed somebody else to play alongside Tlaib? And what if Dennard was your third corner? Would that be the worst thing in the world? No, he was a seventh-round draft pick after all. So, Patriots aren't horrible, and they're going to win the division again. And they may be favorites in the AFC, because again, it's a down conference. But have they gotten better this offseason? I don't think so. I know they've signed the best value contracts out there. But have they signed the best players? The Texans signed Ed Reed, a signing need to make for leadership on that defense. The Colts signed a plethora of free agents. They should be better. The Broncos brought in Wes Welker. And Dominic Rogers cromartie Two really good signings for them. I know those teams got better. I know those teams signed good players. Broncos and Texans in particular. Did the Patriots sign the best players? Or did they just sign the best contracts? I think it's the latter. And that's not maximizing the championship window. Now some brief closing thoughts on Brian Erlacher. Hey, in the Bears, in contract negotiations, 
concluded in a rather ugly manner this week. Bears gave Erlacher a lowball contract offer, and he left. I believe the deal was one year, $2 million. Look, I don't blame the Bears for only wanting Erlacher back at their price. He only played in 12 games last season and recorded a modest 53 tackles from the middle linebacker position. Erlacher is not a very good player anymore. He's certainly on the on the 17th or 18th hole, and maybe he's putting on the green of the 18th hole. But my issue, from afar, granted, I don't follow it on a daily basis, but my issue with the way the, Bear, with the, way the Bears handled Erlacher is that at the beginning of this offseason, they said they wanted him back. And Erlacher alluded to that in the comments he made a couple of days ago after he broke off negotiations with Chicago. If you really didn't want Erlacher back, which, you know, given the offer, I don't think they did. They wanted him back maybe at their very low price. But in the beginning of the offseason, if you listen to the Bears and people from that organization, you would have thought re-signing Brian Erlacher was a top priority for them. It is a one-year, $2 million contract offer, and who knows what the guaranteed money was. But is a one-year, $2 million offer wanting a player back at all costs? Is that a priority for you? That kind of contract offer? No, of course not. The furthest thing from a priority. So to reiterate, I don't necessarily have a problem with the way the Bears handled the Erlacher negotiations. I just have a problem with how they tried to paint it to the public. Why lie? Why lie? Your fans are knowledgeable. Don't treat them like idiots. Say, we respect what Brian Erlacher has done for this organization. We'll retire his number when the day comes. He's going to be in the Chicago Bears Hall of Fame. He's going to be in the NFL Hall of Fame. And we'll be on the, in the front row the day he's... Uh, enshrined in Canton. But at this stage for our franchise, we felt it was best for both parties to move on. Boom! Just say that at the start of the offseason, at the start of free agency. Don't put on this charade that we really want Brian back, we hope he comes back, we're working our hardest to get him back. No, you're not. You want to let the player go? Fine, let the player go. But then don't lie about it. Don't try to win a public relations battle. Worry about building the best football team. And if you win games, don't forget about Brian Erlacher. Don't forget about anything you did this offseason. Don't forget about who you let go if you win games next season. That's the most important thing for a football team to focus on. Not trying to win some public relations battle with a guy like Brian Erlacher in the offseason. Because you're going to lose. Especially if you lie like the Bears lied here with how they handled the Erlacher negotiations. Moving on to our second down segment, where we talk about the biggest off-field NFL story of the past week. And yet again, it's gays in the NFL. Mike Freeman of CBS Sports had a report this week saying a player, an active player, is strongly considering coming out. And then that player would attempt to resume his career. Now, that wording leads you to believe the player maybe doesn't have a current team because Freeman says the player would then want to resume his career or would hope to resume his career. So the wording in the article by Freeman, and I've read it a couple times, leads you to indicate the player isn't currently on an active roster. So maybe it's a fringe guy. Probably a better bet is it's an older guy, a more established veteran at the end of his career, looking for a team, looking to continue playing. So... 
an active player, but maybe an active player who isn't currently on a team. This came on the heels of Scott Fujita, former NFL linebacker, trying to actually keep his career going, uh, who wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about the prospect of a gay player setting foot in the NFL. And uh, that was a terrific piece written by Fujita. I'll read you the lead here, which is what we call it in the biz. Uh, quote, my three young daughters, like most kids, are curious and ask a lot of questions. My wife and I are as open and honest with them as possible. But there's one question I'm not prepared to answer. Why aren't Claire and Lisa and Lisa married? I don't know how to explain to them what inferior means or why their country treats our friends as such. I don't want to tell them that, yes, our friends love each other just like mommy and daddy love each other, but that their love is considered less than. Vegeta goes on to talk about how when his... Daughters ask him, you know, why they put their great-grandfather in a Japanese internment camp. You know, he can say it was a mistake, but we've learned from that. When they ask him why in the 1940s or 1950s, in the era of Jim Crow, why, you know, their father would have been considered less than a citizen or separate equal, he can say it was a mistake. We moved on from that. And on, and on down the line, the list goes. But Fujita says, the point of the article is, when his daughters ask him and his wife about the inequalities gays and lesbians face, uh, he can't say... It was a mistake, but we've evolved, we've bettered ourselves, we moved on as a society because, well, we haven't moved on as a society, at least in a legal sense. Uh, so that was the point of Fujita's article. He worded it a lot better than I do. I encourage you to read it if you haven't already done so. Fujita's main other point in the article is he says the NFL locker room is a microcosm of society. He says a lot of the conversations that happen in society, that happen around the proverbial water cooler at work, also occur in NFL locker rooms. And Fujita says that contrary to the, the contrary to the conventional wisdom, a gay player would be accepted in an NFL locker room. Some of his teammates are highly religious. And they may not think that player should marry, but he says they would accept the player. They would stand up for their teammate like they would any of their other teammates. So, Vegeta says, regardless of religious affiliation, regardless of political beliefs, which some guys have, he says the NFL locker room would be accepting to a gay teammate. He says the world is evolving quickly, and like the world, NFL locker rooms and the attitudes in those locker rooms are evolving quickly. So I'm going to take Vegeta's word for it because he's been in an NFL locker room a lot more than I have. I've never spent a day inside of an NFL locker room. Vegeta spent many years inside of NFL and football locker rooms. So I'm going to take his, work, his word at it there. And I've said this in the past. I'll say it again. I think a gay player would be accepted in the NFL. And I'm not sure how big of a deal it would be over the long term. It would be a headline news at first, headline story at first. It would maybe even be hard at first. But after a while, and by that I mean a couple of months, I really don't think it would matter um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, the NFL is a team-based sport, not an individual-based sport. Uh, if a gay player came out in baseball and it was the first professional athlete in the four major sports to come out, that would maybe be a little more challenging because it's just you and the pitcher. It's just you standing out there in the field. Uh, there's a lot more room. I mean, baseball really is an individual sport that masquerades as a team sport. Right. I mean, there's a lot more room for heckling. There's a lot more room for individual media attention. Uh, you know, there's not really there's really nothing entertaining about a mid-May baseball series. And I'm a guy who loves baseball to death. I, I love it. It, it. It's my favorite sport. But a mid-May series between the uh, Pirates and Brewers uh, isn't going to get the fireworks going. You know, you need to create a story to, uh, you know, to, to fit in the paper the next day. So 
there was an openly gay player on one of those teams. What would be the main story for those three days? The gay player on those teams and his experience thus far. So, and that would continue throughout the regular season. Now continue in the postseason because then the national media would get a hold of it. So, in baseball, it would be a much longer, drawn-out process. In the NFL, I really don't think it would be that drawn-out a process. I think the player would come out, let's say, at the start of training camp. It'd be a big story for the duration of that training camp. But then the games start, the preseason games start, and then the teams travel going to more. Media accessibility decreases. You know, again, in baseball, the media is in the locker room at the start of every game and after every game, every day of the week, or at least six out of seven days per week. In football, media's not there that much. They maybe have one media session in the middle of the week, then another brief one after the game, and that's pretty much it. So the media is much more removed from NFL players, and thus the public is much more removed from NFL players because the media, of course, is a linkage institution between, uh, you know, the sports or whatever they cover and the public. So it would be different in the NFL. And also there's only 16 regular season games. Every game matters. It's once per week, not every day. More of a team sport. The players wear helmets. The field even is a lot further from the fans than a baseball field is or a basketball court is. So it would be, I think, easier in a lot of respects for a player to come out and be openly gay in the NFL. And I've said this before, the NFL is America's sport. It was the first, it ha- I think it has to be the first sport to welcome in a gay player, which is why I think this is such an important story. Because we are evolving at a rapid pace in society. We are evolving towards acceptance, thankfully so. Some ugly episodes this offseason in the NFL. You had the Chris Culver situation at the Super Bowl. With the Manti Teo situation at the Combine. But the NFL is America's sport. And nothing would be more symbolic than a player, uh, than an openly gay player in the NFL, signing on with another team and continuing his career. And now it opened the floodgates because people would say, oh, they didn't ruin that guy's career. I'm going to stand up for who I am too. It would say a lot, really. The NFL, America's sport, openly accepting a gay player. And Scott Fujita, who spent a lot more time inside of NFL Locker Room than I have, says an NFL Locker Room would be an accepting place. Like, society now is rather accepting in most areas to to gays and lesbians. So, we'll see. There's been so much conversation about it this offseason. There's been so much smoke. And where there's smoke, there's usually fire. It's happening sooner rather than later. And I think it would be a great symbolic moment when it does happen, when, not if, we're at that point now where we can comfortably substitute if for when when we're talking about this issue. Third down segment, it's the big up slowdown segment. Pretty simple. I don't don't need to be a Mensa candidate to figure this one out. I say a statement and then affirm my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying big up or slowdown. Question number one, the San Francisco 49ers are tinkering with the idea of former West Virginia quarterback Pat White as their backup quarterback to Colin Kaepernick. Now, White was drafted by the Dolphins out of West Virginia in 2009 and did not pan out in the NFL. White's a real runner, not much of a thrower. Big up or slow down is the quarterback position completely evolving to where throwing is a second thought. When it comes to selecting a quarterback, I say slow down here. Yes, the quarterback position is evolving. It's evolving to a more mobile position. Offenses are more dynamic. 
offenses today are more fast-paced. There's no question about that. Guys like Russell Wilson, Robert Griffin III, Colin Kaepernick, they can all move with the best of them. But they can also throw the football like you wouldn't believe. They all have cannons, man. See, that's the thing when it comes to Robert Griffin, Kaepernick, and Wilson. People talked about their legs and their speed, and, you know, we're a society obsessed with speed, so that makes sense. But they're all great throwers. All three of them. I mean, Andrew Luck even is a pretty mobile guy, but what's his trademark? His arm. Guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady are slow as hell. And I would take them on my team any day, wouldn't you? Joe Flacco, not a mobile guy, played great in the playoffs, and outdoed Colin Kaepernick in the Super Bowl this year. So, the quarterback position is evolving. It's certainly evolving into a more mobile position, as offenses in the NFL are evolving. But has it evolved to the point where throwing is now a second thought? No, I don't think so. Because, yeah, Robert Griffin, Russell Wilson, Colin Kaepernick can all run. They can all throw, too, and throw with the best of them. And that still is a real important thing, and that's why all three of those guys, if they can stay healthy, will have long-term success in this league. Not because of their legs, but because of their arms. You need the arm, too. Just ask the Vikings how the Joe Webb experience work out, worked out for them <laughs> this postseason when he played against Green Bay. Mm, not so well. Now, speaking of speed, how about the 40-yard dash? Manti Teo ran a 4.71 in the second 40 at Notre Dame's Pro Day this week. It's faster than the 4.82 he ran at the Combine last month. Pick up or slow down is Teo's 40 times still a major issue for him come the NFL draft in just a couple of weeks. I say big up. Yes, it is. Over the past three years, here's an interesting stat I stumbled across. Every linebacker drafted in the first round to set a faster 40 time than Teo. I spoke with Tommy Curran, NFL reporter for Comcast Sportsnet New England a couple weeks ago on the show, and Tommy said he actually doesn't think the 40 issue is that big a deal with Teo. I respectfully disagree with Tommy because I don't think Teo ran a slow 40 time, especially for a linebacker who's expecting to get picked somewhere in the first round. I mean, just look at the statistics. Over the past three years, every linebacker drafted in the first round has, a, has had a faster 40 time than Teo. So that tells me it will still be an issue come the draft. He also struggled mightily on the field in the national championship game. His on-field play is still an issue. So there's the off-field concern. There's the off-field questions with Teo, which we've covered at length on this show. But as far as the on-field questions go, I still think there are a substantial amount of those. And those could be the things that keep Teo out of the first round. His 40 time and, I think this doesn't get mentioned enough, his real lackluster play in the national championship game. Final draft note, because yes, draft weenies, the NFL draft is almost here. Woo, how exciting. Look at Todd DeVries back on the show, our, reg our resident draft guru to help us with that when the draft gets closer. But Geno Smith, some say the top quarterback on the board this year, is talking with the Jaguars and talks are heating up. Pick up or slow down. Should the Jaguars pick Smith, maybe a subpar quarterback, with their first pick this year because, well, they're picking at the top of the draft, and that's what you do. You pick a quarterback. I say slow down here. Now, you may be surprised at my answer. You may say, Alex, but quarterback is the most important position on the field. You have the top pick. 
Geno Smith's the top quarterback available in this year's draft. Draft him. Quarterback's most important position in the league, so spend your top pick on a quarterback. Easy. No! That actually is precisely why you wouldn't draft Geno Smith in the draft this year if you truly don't think he's the guy for your team. You want to get the quarterback right. You do not want to have a mulligan on the quarterback. If you don't think Geno Smith is the right guy, don't pick him. Bite the bullet and wait another year. Wait for Johnny Manziel to come out, which he probably will do next season. Wait for a better quarterback class next year. Don't pick a guy like Geno Smith or Matt Barkley or whomever if you truly don't think he's the guy, just because you're picking at the top of the draft, you don't have a quarterback. And oh, that's what you got to do. Picking at the top of the draft, you got to pick a quarterback because that's what you do. No. It's by far the most important thing David Caldwell, the new Jaguars GM, will ever do. Select the quarterback. You want to get this one right. If you don't think Geno Smith is the guy, you don't pick him. You bite the bullet, you take the criticism, and you wait another year. Because if you draft a guy who you think is the right fit for your team, and he winds up being the right fit for your team, even if it's a year down the line, and I understand GMs have shelf lives, but you know, Caldwell's only going to get fired after one year. He has to at least get two years, right? You're David Caldwell, you can't worry about that. you got to worry about drafting the best guy for your team going forward. Because I'll tell you a surefire way to get fired, and fired quickly, draft the wrong guy as a quarterback. That's the surefire way to get fired quickly. So if you don't think Geno Smith or whoever else is the right guy, don't pick him. Bite the bullet, wait another year. That's the advice I would give to the Jaguars or anybody else who is not sure about the quarterback in this year's draft. Rounding out the show today, it's the fourth down segment. As always, the Reamer rant. I'm not going to play the audio for you because I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times by now. It's a brief clip anyway. You can Google it online. Uh, former Patriots linebacker Ted Johnson, now a host on Houston Sports Radio, was uh, taking part in a segment. It's like a call-in segment uh, last week on the, on the show. And uh, a caller called in and asked about uh, the ugliest spouse of any of Johnson's ex-teammates and... The radio shock jocks around them were hooting and hollering, just having a great time at that question. They sound like real tool bags if you listen to it. Uh, my God. Uh, but Ted Johnson took a deep breath. And then, in the classic case of irony, of course, in today's internet age, he said, Ah, what the hell? He won't hear this. Vince Wolfork's wife. And, of course, <laughs> Vince Wolfork heard about it. Come on. In the day and age we live in? You don't think Vince Wolfric would have heard about it? Come on, man. So that's the classic case of irony. Ted Johnson, no, I'll say it, Vince Wolfric. Vince Wolfric's wife, he won't hear about it. And of course Vince Wolfric heard about it. So that's the best thing. Um, and Johnson totally crossed the line, talking about Wolfric's wife, Bianca, who is an instrumental figure in his life. They run stories on her. She texts him 50 times in a game, and... Points out flaws in this game, his successes, his failures, his triumphs. Great story. She's in there with his agent on his contract negotiations. And he actually got paid by the Patriots. So, Bianca Wolfork may be the agent for you. I don't know. And it's obviously, it's obvious Vince has tremendous love for his wife. The way he defended her on Twitter against Ted Johnson last week. I love seeing that. Uh, it was awesome. Awesome, awesome stuff. And Ted Johnson totally crossed the line bashing Bianca Wolfork. You don't bash your ex-teammates' wives. You don't 
do it. You don't speak about anybody's spouses. You just don't. So Ted Johnson made a massive mistake, a massive miscalculation. Bad, bad move. But there is a silver lining here, and the silver lining is this. I want ex-athletes like Ted Johnson and others in the media, radio, TV, whatever, I want them to feel comfortable talking about their ex-teammates and their past experiences. If Ted Johnson was asked the question, who was the worst teammate you had? And he said Vince Wolfork, I would have had zero problem with that answer. Why? Because Ted Johnson was hired to do radio in Houston because he played in the NFL. And supposedly has insights to offer that we, the regular, non-playing public, can't get. So if Ted Johnson was asked about Vince Wolfork or asked about a teammate and answered the question honestly, it still would have caused a brouhaha. It still would have caused a major controversy, but I would have been on Ted Johnson's side because I would have said, well, he's a member of the media now. He's a talk show host. He's supposed to talk candidly about his experiences in the league. That's why he was hired in the first place. Ted Johnson crossed the line. Not because he was candid, not because he was honest, but because he talked about a player's spouse, a player's wife. That's the mistake Ted Johnson made. But being honest, I hope we see more than that, not less than that, from ex-players hired to be analysts and media personalities, both on the local level and especially, please God, the national level. Thank you for tuning in, Football Nation Today, episode number 43. As always, if you have a comment about anything we discussed here in this episode, feel free to leave a comment on our show page. Like all the views we've been getting, even in the offseason, good to, sh good to see uh, how much you guys like the show. The views we receive means a lot to me. I like to know I don't talk into the abyss. So, as always, if you have a comment, feel free to leave it on the show page on footballnation.com. Also, feel free to send me an email. A Reamer at bu.edu is my email address, and also feel free to follow me on Twitter at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter handle. Thank you for listening, everybody. Enjoy your week and weekend. Hopefully the weather gets a little warmer, because after all, it is springtime. Enjoy the start of the baseball season. Enjoy the continuation of the March Madness tournament. And we'll talk to you next here on Football Nation today to talk about the latest storylines around the NFL next Wednesday. So long. We'll talk to you then.